Would you pray with me as we come to this time around the Lord's Word where we need the Holy Spirit to enliven our hearts, enlighten His Word. Father, we now come to the portion of our service where You speak to us through Your Word. We acknowledge our desperate need of the work of the Holy Spirit in the next few minutes as we sit under His instruction as we hear His Word opened up to our hearts and minds, I pray that You would speak to us today and that Your Word would find a resting place in our hearts and that Your grace and mercy would be evident um, in our minds and hearts as we listen and apply. Bless us now as we open these words today. Amen. Many of us love the Advent season. Christmas time is the favorite time of year for many folks. And there's good reason for that, right? It's full of joy, full of, of warm feelings, uh, hope, all these things that make up Christmas. The Christmas lights, you know, the sweet smells, the wonderful music, family gathering, church events, and all, all these things make up our experience of Christmas. And many of us greatly enjoy these things. Um, Advent is just a wonderful time of year, and I'm glad you're all here to experience with us together at Sun Valley Church. If you pay close attention during the holiday season, you'll notice something very important, and it's this, that things, that is things, can't bring us true and lasting joy or hope. Things cannot do the trick that we're seeking. It cannot bring true and lasting joy and hope in the Christmas season, the Advent season, makes this abundantly clear. No matter how warmed you are by good apple cider, Christmas lights, fun music, Christmas trees, etc., they cannot deliver the true and lasting happiness that you and I seek. Even by the end of this week, many of the Christmas songs won't be played again until next year. The Christmas lights will start coming down. People will be putting away their Christmas decorations and so forth. Hot apple cider just doesn't taste as good in February. I'm not sure why. It just doesn't. I'm not certain I ever drink apple cider except during the Christmas season. Maybe you do. Maybe I'm missing something. Anyways, it seems to be a Christmas thing to me. And then it's over. And this is the way it seems to be. As nice as all these things are, they go away. That's like everything in this world. It, it passes away. Even the people in our lives, those people we love and we are excited to get together with this time of year, aren't the ideal place to place our hope and, and joy. And it's not the case because people are fickle. If you're breathing right now, you've experienced fickleness in people. And you've probably been disappointed a time or two. And so if we hope to have true and fulfilling lasting hope, we really can't rest our hope in things or people. What does that leave us? Well, the Apostle John says that the world and everything in it is passing away. And this time of year proves it. It's passing away. It's temporary. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. True, fulfilling Life-changing and everlasting hope can't be found in things, even at Christmas time. True, fulfilling, life-changing and everlasting hope can't be found in things, 
even during this wonderful time of year. But God does desire that we do find it, that is, lasting joy and hope. And the clues to that discovery are all around us during this Advent season. Just, just open your eyes and look a little more closely. If you're slightly aware, you can't miss the obvious. And God intended cues that guide us towards this real hope I'm describing. One of the biggest is the temporary nature of the joyous season that I've been describing. Many of the material things that bring us happiness at this time of year fade away and are gone in just a couple of weeks. So that should teach us that these temporary things aren't where we can rest our hope and joy because they're gone in two weeks or less. But in our passage this morning in Psalm 119 verse 123, I think we'll find something there very important. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Psalm 119, verse 123, where I think we'll see our need for lasting hope and where to find it. Amazingly enough, right here in the middle of Psalm 119, we have a Christmas sermon. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. And it's even right where we happen to be studying. Psalm 119, verse 123 says this, my eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. If that's not a Christmas psalm, I don't know what is. Listen again. My eyes long for your salvation and the fulfillment of your righteous promise. I've titled this sermon, The Gospel is as Easy as 1, 2, 3. And we are in verse 123. Come on, work with me. I thought it was fun at least. Well, so the gospel has three easy steps and we're going to see them right here in this text. Okay, first of all, what do we see right off the beginning here in the first line? My eyes long. We see right off the bat human need. Is that not the first step of the gospel? Isn't that the first step of having all these things made right? You must acknowledge your need. Yeah, of course it is. The writer's first three words do this for us. My eyes long really are the cry of the human heart. All of us long for things like purpose, fulfillment, meaning, joy, hope. All of us have eyes that long for something to give us happiness that we can't produce ourselves. We long for something to fill the void that is in every human heart. Unfortunately, we tend to seek fulfillment of those things in places that God never intends to fulfill us from. We look for hope and joy and peace and, and fulfillment in places that God doesn't intend us to look for the satisfaction of those needs. God offers fulfillment and hope, but because of our sin and weakness, we seek it someplace else. And, and th this season demonstrates that clearly, doesn't it? Every year, the Christmas season presents the only real source of hope, but because of the distraction of the season, we easily miss it. Even as Christians, we can easily miss it. We can get so wrapped up in the noise of the season that our minds pass right over the central point of the season. But even verses like this in Psalm 119, 123, as obscure as it may seem to you, remind us of the point of the Christmas season. 
My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. This, heart, this verse draws our hearts back to what is really important in this Advent time of year. I'll also read other familiar verses this morning to you that will do the same thing. That kind of reorient your mind and heart to what's truly important. What truly brings that satisfaction and joy. Because we are created beings, we inherently have needs. The only one that does not have needs is the Creator. But since you and I are created beings, we have need. This is, this is part of God's strategy, part of, part of God's plans. No matter how healthy you are, you, you need your blood to continue to supply oxygen to your brain and other critical organs. And if that ever stops, you stop. You are a living illustration of the fact that you are a needy individual, a needy being. The, the blood in your body proves it. It must continue to pump to your brain and so forth throughout your body. We're beings of need. Notice that the first line of, of verse 123 goes beyond just this, this longing to a longing for salvation. My eyes long for your salvation. This here is a, a prayer directed to God because ultimately... Only God can meet the needs that you and I have, ultimately. And ultimately, we have one need above all the others that is critical, foundational. We all have a need for God, whether or not we want to admit it. Since God is our designer, He chose what would make us tick. He chose that what, our, what our lives would require. God designed us to need we need air, water, food, shelter, love, purpose. We need joy, fulfillment. And he designed us to be incomplete beings in this sense. To do one thing. Not to keep you frustrated, but to keep pressuring you to move towards him, the source of fulfillment of those needs. So beyond all of our physical, mental, and emotional needs is our glaring spiritual need. This is an ingenious design by our Creator in that the fulfillment of our deepest need will only be found in Him, our Creator. What a wonderful idea. The great Augustine said it like this, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You can look anywhere you want, but until you look for it in God, you're going to remain restless. Discontentedness is a raging disease in our culture. We are all there. God designed us to need Him. And this design guarantees that we eventually find our real and lasting hope only in Him, our loving Creator. You won't find it elsewhere. Even though as Christians we continue to kind of mess around and poke around in the world, don't we? So we have all these physical, mental, emotional needs, but our glaring spiritual need is what's on the table here today and in the psalm. Because we each are committed to our own agenda at all costs, we have joined with the rest of humanity since Adam and Eve in going our own way, of demanding our own agenda, rejecting any authority that might try to interrupt that plan that you have that's so perfect whether it be God or anybody else. 
We have even rejected a loving Heavenly Father. The Bible, of course, calls this sin. Do you know that we are all guilty of that very sin? Going our own way, having our own agenda, turning our backs on God's d desire and plan for our lives and doing our own thing? This is the sin that began with Adam and Eve. It says in Isaiah 53, that wonderful passage concerning our Savior, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. There isn't an exception. We have all gone our own way. And of course this rebellion causes alienation from God, your loving creator, and deserved judgment. Which is why we come across passages in scripture from time to time that talk about judgment. For example, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's a verse about judgment. Sin deserves death. And of course, this is talking about God's judgment in the matter. Thankfully, the story doesn't end here on judgment. But it does highlight the need, doesn't it? It does highlight the need that we have for a Savior that loves us, a God who cares. Our sin demonstrates our need, but it doesn't end the story there. It brings us to the second point, which is in verse 123, which is God's supply. My eyes long for your salvation, for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. This here is really the Christmas story. It's the story of the incarnation. We have a loving creator who desires to meet all of our needs, even those of us who rebel against him. And by the way, those of us includes all of us who rebel against God. He has created our whole environment to be something that meets our needs. God supplies for our basic needs. For example, I've mentioned the idea of blood pumping through your body earlier. That's a need that God supplies. God supplies you with good health so you can continue living. There's also the fact that this body gets tired and fatigued. You know, during the day, we all have that problem. And so God has graciously met that need with this thing called sleep. We lay down and eight hours later we wake up feeling rejuvenated, feeling better about the day, feeling like things might work out today. When just eight hours ago you're like, this is the worst day of my life. Somehow sleep rejuvenates not just mind and, but body. I mean, everything about us is rejuvenated. It's a supply from God. And then our bodies also get hungry. And amazingly, God has provided food. If we just eat it, we get strong. And we feel good for the day. I just eat this and voila, I feel much better. That's God's provision. And then there's the whole idea of providing rain for the crops that meet our needs. And all these things are simple, obvious things to all of us. And yet our mind bypasses by them all the time and we somehow come to the conclusion that we are independent and don't need God. When in fact, the last breath you just took was a gift from God. That was a gift from God. The things that are happening in your mind right now is a gift from God. The fact that you're still awake is a gift from God and a blessing to me. But there remains this obvious spiritual matter. 
right? Beyond the, the physical provisions that God supplies us with, we have this great spiritual need of forgiveness of our sin of rebellion, of, of our sin of walking away from God. We need reconciliation with a loving but estranged Heavenly Father. Friends, the, the, the Christmas story not only reveals our greatest need, but provides for that need in the advent of God. God became man. We heard that read from John chapter 1 this morning. Our greatest need isn't being fulfilled in something, but in someone. The arrival of God in the flesh, baby Jesus, reveals our need and meets our need at the same time. We need God to show up. Why would God have to become man? This is what the Christmas story is all about. The need for God to become man. I want you to look back now at verse 123 in Psalm 119. And I want you to notice what the author's saying and how he's connecting the dots about man's need and God's supply. Look closely with me. My eyes long for your salvation. Keep your mind on that word salvation. And for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. He is connecting salvation and righteous promise together for us in this easy verse. Salvation and promise go together. Which leads us to the next point. God supplies for our greatest need. Not just the basic fundamental needs that we've described but for our most fundamental need. God supplies that. Let me explain to you how. There are many promises of God in the Old Testament that the author may have been thinking about here when he said, and I'm longing for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. There might have been many promises in his mind in the Old Testament that were common. They all knew about them. The promise of God's presence in difficulty. The promise of his steadfast love to his children. The promise of meeting need to those in trouble. The promise in, of protection in danger. All promises found in the Old Testament scriptures. Was the author referring to those? I doubt it. But there was one promise that we know for sure was on his mind. And on the mind of every other Jew in his day. And every other Jew from Abraham on. One particular promise. The promise of the coming Messiah was in view, was always discussed, was taught to kids. They catechized them on the issue. Everything about Jewish life was the coming Messiah. And what a promise it was. We had this promise, this, this life of anticipation for the promise of the coming of the blessing of Abraham, the consolation of Israel, the promised Savior. Where was he? My eyes long for your salvation and the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Throughout human history, humanity has awaited the promise given to our first parents in the Garden of Eden. That promise given by God of a coming Savior who would defeat sin and defeat Satan and rescue all of mankind from the damage of sin was given in Genesis 3.15. As early as Genesis 3.15, within a few moments of Adam and Eve's sin, here comes a promise. Listen, I will put enmity, God speaking to 
speaking judgment to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, that is your offspring, Eve, will crush or bruise the head of Satan. You'll bruise his heel, but he will crush you. There's that veiled promise. And from that time on, God seemed to, to just tickle us and hint here and there and drop some ideas about what this coming Savior might look like, who we might be. By the time we get to the New Testament, it's abundantly obvious to everybody who's interested who it is and where he would be born at what time he would be born. From Old Testament promises. Fulfill your righteous promise to me, the author is pleading. From that original promise in Genesis 3.15, as veiled as it was, onward through human history, God continued to lay out these hints. One of our greatest ones that we love is Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here it is. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. That's what the name Emmanuel means. Then, one great day it happened. All these promises given by God to the people of God through the prophets, all these years and years of anticipation finally came to a head in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. We've been singing about it and hearing verses read about it all morning. And one of the reasons you're here is because of this. And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's finally here. The Savior has finally showed up. He is fi the promise is finally fulfilled. Our hearts can rejoice along with the psalmist. One of my favorite stories concerning the arrival of the promised Messiah is in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the promise spoken of forever and ever and ever. He was waiting and the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus. Why were the parents bringing, why were Mary and Joseph bringing in Jesus? It was the eighth day. It's time to circumcise every Jewish kid on the eighth day. That's how it works. They bring him for what needs to be done, and Simeon's standing there, not by mistake. And he saw and looked, and according to the custom of the law, it says, he took up in his arms and blessed God. He had Jesus in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That means according to your promise, for my eyes have seen your salvation and you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles, praise God for that line, and for the glory of your people Israel. 
It had happened. The righteous promise had been fulfilled. He's here. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world showed up. Although God does lovingly supply all your physical and emotional needs, his greatest gift to us is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to meet yours and my spiritual need, which is so much greater than all the other physical needs that we have. He came, Jesus came, to reconcile us to God. He came to live a perfectly holy life that none of us could but was required of each of us. And then he turned and credited that perfect life to any who would believe. Are you able to be holy as God has commanded? Are you able to be perfect as Jesus has commanded? Of course not. Then here, take the perfection of Jesus yourself. It's a gift if you'll just believe. He came to do that for us. Came to live a perfect life, credit it to us. He came to live that perfect life, then die for the penalty that we owe, but couldn't pay. What a wonderful arrangement. Sinners, what a wonderful arrangement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Matthew 1, 21. You can imagine Joseph's confusion, can't you? His fiancée and then wife at this point shows up pregnant. Not a good deal, actually, uh, in his human mind. So an angel is sent to instruct him what's happening here. Your wife, Joseph, is going to bear a son. And you're going to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Christmas story reveals not only our greatest need, but provides for that need in Christ Jesus. Our greatest need isn't fulfilled in something, but someone. We desperately needed Jesus to show up. He is the Christmas child. He is the righteous promise. He is our Savior who takes away sin. Are you looking for fulfillment, peace, hope? The answers aren't out there. The answers are here in Christ. The gospel is easy as one, two, three. You have a need. God has an answer. The third step we see right back in verse 123. The, the promise must be received. The psalmist in verse 123 has helped us see our need for God's supply. All that remains is a response from you. A gift is of no value until you receive it. The gospel is easy as one, your need, two, God's supply, and three, receiving that gift by faith. We see that there in verse 123. Notice that he's pleading to God for salvation and the fulfillment of the righteous promise. That is an act of faith. He's going to the source. He didn't ask for the king. He didn't ask for the soldiers. He went to God and said, please fulfill your promise. That is an act of faith, the same kind of faith you must display to receive the gift of Christ Jesus. 
You must go to the source and by faith believe that Jesus can be that for you and is that for you. Do you know your need? Do you believe and understand that Christ fulfills that need? Friends, the next thing remaining, the only thing remaining, is for you to act on faith and to come to Christ and plead his mercy and goodness and grace. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are told, and you will be saved. The writer of Psalm 119 longed for the salvation of God. He pleaded with God for deliverance. He knew his desperate condition. And this is exactly what we must do to receive the promise of God in Jesus Christ. It can be found nowhere else. The Christmas season demonstrates this clearly. All the things, all the fluff go away. The Christmas child remains. Are you looking for God's salvation? Are you longing? Does your eye long for this salvation spoken of in verse 123? This fulfillment, this peace, this joy found in Christ alone? Are you looking for his promise? Friends, unless you knock, the door won't be open. Unless you ask, the answer will not be given. You must, in faith, reach out to Christ. The gospel is as easy as one, two, three. Have you embraced it this morning? This is what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Because you're infinite and perfect, holy, righteous, all-powerful. You are the meter of needs, God. And we here have a room full of people who need. We demonstrate our need every day, in every way. And your word reveals to us, as do our own souls, our need for forgiveness of sin. Our need for the work of a loving Savior to draw us to himself, to forgive sin, to apply grace and mercy to our souls. Holy Spirit, I ask that you, in coordination with the Father and the Son, draw each of our hearts in grace and mercy to you. For those in this room who have yet, who have never yet placed their trust in Christ, I pray that, Spirit, you would do that now for them. And for those of us who have embraced Christ, maybe even long ago, that we would be reminded of our constant need, continual need, to run back to our Savior who fulfills us in every way throughout every day of our lives. Bless us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming as our Christmas child, that we may know all the blessings from our Father. And I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.